And also, we could go by its official name, the metatarsophalangeal joint sprain. Good old turf toe, eh? (laughs) (laughs) We have uh, no segue. Did you give me one and I missed it? I thought we were going to get through a podcast without making any significant Marco Estrada facts entries. And welcome to episode number 17 of Artificial Turf Wars, the podcast that crashes into the wall, then makes the catch. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Mr. Josh Housem. How are you doing, Josh? I'm good. You? I'm good. Uh, We are recording... uh, post victory as it were so i'm usually a little bit better on those nights i think i think you know that though you you would yes. rather record after a victory yourself too right uh, there are many many things i'd rather do after a victory because losing sucks <laughs> <laughs> and winning cures everything uh this week we will be talking about uh, marcus stroman and his struggles uh michael saunders and his revolution bautista and his toe a certain Troy Tulowitzki returning to the lineup and possibly some other pitchers returning to the lineup. Uh, someone who we never saw in a major league uniform getting traded away that people got all excited about. We have a few listener questions. Um, I have a gold star for everybody's favorite manager, uh, and I'm sure there might be a final thought in there somewhere. So let us begin with the struggles of Marcus Stroman. Uh, let me preface this. We had two articles posted on BP Toronto. If you'd like to fill in the background, you can pause this now and go read them. One of which said, send Marcus Stroman to AAA. And the other one said, keep Marcus Stroman around. We like to show both sides of the (laughs) argument, apparently. (laughs) So, uh, he's had a rough go, except against the Phillies, which really isn't the greatest barometer, right? Yeah, it's really hard to say that some guys figured things out because he beat the Phillies. We sort of talked about that last, last podcast. It's like, Hey, he made some adjustments, and they're working against the Phillies. Let's see how they work against the Orioles. They didn't. The other thing that was happening with the Orioles seemed to be a, a real command issue for what we're used to seeing from Marcus Stroman, at least in my estimation. Oh, yeah, everything was up the entire start. And obviously, as anybody who's been watching Stroman all season knows, as a sinker baller, when the ball's up, you get hit. And is a single baller versus the Orioles, who seem to be like the Blue Jays of, of years past, hit home runs at will. Not that these Blue Jays don't hit a lot of home runs. It just, the Orioles come out of nowhere. It's like, oh, yeah, that was a nice, easy switch. Oh, the ball's gone. <laughs> Somebody go get well, that. I mean, yeah, when Chris Davis hits a fly ball every time, I think, oh, that's, you know, routine, 20 feet from the fence, and it's like in the third deck. Yeah. I, I, I never understand it. But I mean, we talked about this last year with Bautista and Sam Dyson, and I think we've mentioned it on other occasions. Sinker ball plus fly ball hitter tends to be big flies. Yeah. If, if the mistake is made, it's a disastrous mistake. Mm-hmm. If, if you keep the ball down, then you can have some your usual sinker ball success. What do we do with Marcus Stroman going forward? That's going to be the question of questions. There's always... You know, what do we do with this guy? What do we do with that guy? Is there yeah, a clear it's, it's, re- it's really tough because when he hasn't been facing Baltimore or Boston, 
and when started against Tampa, he's been just fine. So he's been getting torched by the AL East, except the Yankees, because they're not very good. But he's been beating everybody else. So with the next few games in the schedule, he is not facing any AL East opponents. It, I think it's going to be watch, wait, and see what happens with those games. And if he still continues to struggle, then maybe at that point it's time to say, okay, we got to make an adjustment here. Or not, rather not adjustment, we got to make a change in this rotation. And then potentially that has a trickle-down effect with we were talking about last week about Aaron Sanchez eventually going to the bullpen. Um, does that affect Aaron Sanchez's future? Because whoever you might have replaced Sanchez with in some context, are you now replacing Stroman with that guy and you're leaving yourself shorthanded somehow? I mean, yeah, this is actually the biggest reason why I don't think they'll actually send him out of the rotation just because there isn't anybody to replace him with. Because as you mentioned, Drew Hutchinson will be taking Sanchez's spot and they don't have anybody else. There's no depth in the rotation. In, in emergency situations, you could pull out Jesse Chavez or, well, I'm not Gavin Floyd anymore, but Jesse Chavez could could step in. But that's not the kind of situation they'd want to do it in. No. So, so I think it's just sort of just try to tweak things and see if you can figure out, you know, you know change the pitch mix, change the, the types of breaking balls you're throwing, whatever, and just hope that it fixes itself. Because he has been good throwing like this in the past. Yeah, he's he's just run into some some serious offense, and and we do know that those two teams, specifically Baltimore and Boston, have been the offensive juggernauts of the American League this year versus everybody. Uh, you know, Boston went on that whatever it was week or two week streak where they scored like eight and a half runs per game on average. Uh, that wasn't even against the Jays. We weren't even in that mix, and they were destroying everybody. So. Uh, it's not like he's getting beat by real soft teams, but it's it is worrying. I think in in the the short run that's there the adjustment hasn't worked yet. There needs to be an adjustment still. Yeah, and also I mean you mentioned the, the command issues, right? It may it could just be partly related to fatigue. I mean, he's not pitched a lot in the in recent history. I mean he pitched what, including the playoffs six games last year, seven. Right. So it could just be he's hitting a bit of a wall and he needs to ease back, which they can do with a bunch of off days and, and the All-Star break coming up. So uh, we'll leave Marcus Stroman there, I think, and we'll move on to a happier thing. Michael Saunders is a yeah. monster. Speaking of the All-Star break, <laughs> it's like, this guy's a lock. He has to be, right? Well, yeah, he's one of the best three hitters in, in baseball. Best four by several it's measures. If, and if you're going by you know, weighted on base, he's number one among outfielders by 10 points in all of baseball. He's also sneaky good, I think, is re the really weird part for me. Because most of the guys who are way up there, you think of them for home runs first, and then perhaps they have a broad skill set. But Saunders, he doesn't have a ton of home runs. He's just always doing something and then close and late he does more which is uh i understand not a skill but it's fun to watch um <laughs> this is like the, today was the first left-handed pitcher that had, had really shut him down all year which yeah. again w did anybody expect michael saunders to hit lefties well yeah it's been really interesting I and mean, the one thing that saunders always had was a bit of power I mean, he hit home runs in Seattle, and we saw it a ton when the when the Mariners played the Jays. He just torched the second deck and right. But he's really turned himself into a complete hitter. I mean, he's taking more, way more walks than he's used to. He's using the whole field. I mean, 
the, the impetus for this conversation, obviously, was that three home run game in Baltimore. You know, it was actually kind of cool seeing some Jays fans throw hats on the road. <laughs> uh, and then get called names by people on uh, Orioles Twitter. Uh, of course. Yeah, it's like, well, okay, no, they're not throwing trash on the field. It's not. Yeah. Got, uh, okay, I gotta, we, we got to back up. We think anyway, this is a hockey game. <laughs> yeah. No, let's not go there. But anyway, the point, what I was going to say there is that he hit two of those balls to the opposite field, which he'd never really done in, his, in the past. He'd home runs to left, and he's doing it this year. Um. So here's an interesting, I just grabbed Saunders' uh, baseball reference page. It, the last complete day has him at 264 plate appearances with Toronto, and he has 263 plate appearances the last year he was in Seattle for the full season, by some strange coincidence. He actually has exactly the same number of walks as he did in Seattle, and he really? struck out more. But he's got mm, 30 points of batting average, 40 points of on base, and uh, how can he have that much more on base? Doesn't even make Hit sense. My pitch. Apparently. And, uh, oh, yeah, about 150 points of slugging. <laughs> He's just having a career season, and it's unfortunately timed from the Blue Jays' perspective. And fortunately, depending on how you're looking at it, because he's joining the free agent group at the end of the season. And it is, as we have reflected previously, a very thin free agent group. Yeah. I mean, if he keeps this up all season, he moves right into that, what, top four spot in the entire free agent class with Cespedes and the two Blue Jays that are already going to be going? I will endeavor not to sigh too loudly here, but if there's anybody who might give a hometown discount or might negotiate in the middle of the season, I have a feeling that Canadian boy Michael Saunders might consider it, and then he'd probably reconsider it and take the money, but... (laughs) Well, but we we discussed this on the past too, though. There's still so much risk with his health that it'd be really interesting to see what happens to him in contract negotiations, both during the season and as free agent. Well, yeah, he is currently sitting basically at uh, half of the highest number of plate appearance he has ever had, mm-hmm. and he's missing two thirds of his knee. What well, knees are overrated, as I understand it? <laughs> what about toes? Are they do they overrated? Ah, uh, toes. Yes, toes are critical. I've I've learned this week. Uh, first of all, you don't want toes coming into contact with your turf. Is any yeah. ailment w- more embarrassingly named than Jose Bautista's turf toe? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it's it's a very odd thing. I mean, it's just he hyperextended his toe, right? Right. It's very much. It's very much worse than it sounds. Yeah, I mean, we saw it happen. It, it, it th- there was no mystery when it happened where the injury was uh, on the wall in uh, Philadelphia. Right? It was it, it, immediately. It was the toe. It didn't look like an ankle or a knee or anything else. Um, and the way he limped off the field and continued to limp all the way into the dugout didn't look too hot. It's actually worse than that. Yeah, it is. And also, we could go by its official name, the metatarsophalangeal joint sprain. Good old turf toe, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, he's not coming back anytime soon. Well, there's a massive amount of inflammation if you listen to Buck Martinez, which is problem number one, is you have to wait well, for that he, inflammation. He has to spend two weeks in a walking boot just before he's reassessed. Uh, so there's 0% chance he's coming back after the minimum stay on the DL. Oh, yeah. Yeah, two weeks in the boot. I heard that as well, and it's like, what do you, what do you do? It's 
it's a fluky injury um I, I does it maybe we should talk to somebody about whether it heals faster or we don't know compared to a broken bone would you rather he broke his toe i would rather he didn't hurt his toe at all well he could always As a non-doctor i can't answer this question he could always dh that would prevent so many injuries but we have uh -huh. a couple of those guys already so uh, I'm sure he's also disappointed because it affects his free agent value. Yeah, and one, it's just really unfortunate time in his perspective because his whole thing was how he was the outlier in terms of aging, and he's, you know, his numbers are down. He can't throw anymore, and now he's injured again. So I, this really should affect his market. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the way this season has gone to this point, that's not to say he can't turn it around when he comes back, but to this point, it's probably cost him $50 million. And three weeks ago, if we had had this conversation about who was the guy who was costing himself money out of Encarnacion or Bautista, it would have been Encarnacion, hands down. Yeah, but not between <laughs> you and I, because we know that, you know, you can't say anything about Encarnacion until the season's finished. Yep, until he gets his 40 homers and everybody yeah. forgets all of the ups and downs that were in there. Um, he looked pretty cold today and, and he, he was wearing everyone's wearing his shirt uh he was on an 0 for 9 though he had i think a couple walks in there um and then he decided to reward the people who came for parrot day and he cranked with, one with a big bomb but not the only guy who hit a bomb in that inning no you're doing the segues this week hey eh? <laughs> yeah, i to change things up a little nobody bit. nobody told me i didn't i didn't get the memo uh <laughs> who did hit that josh by coincidence the next guy we wanted to talk about Oh, it's almost as if that was on purpose. <laughs> yep. Two Returning Troy Tulowitzki. Yeah. Nice home runs in. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, they two home runs in four games. Mm-hmm. Ringing double in the in one of the other ones. I mean, he looks good. Yeah. Do you think sometimes guys actually need not the time to heal, but actually a break in the season because they're wearing themselves down and they don't really, they don't acknowledge it or they don't realize it. I think that's absolutely a thing. I don't know if that necessarily applies with Tulo here because before he got hurt, he was actually on fire. True. True. And and then he tried to come back for a couple games, looked terrible, and then went on the DL. But, I mean, he looks really good. He, you know, he's not letting meatball fastballs go down the middle anymore. <laughs> not that that frustrated you, Josh. No. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, I mean, he, he's taken his hacks and he's taken his walks. Um you can't really ask for a lot more than that. No, especially when when the hacks that he takes, uh, he he really does seem to deliver on, uh, you know, in the power department, which is what we were really hoping for, right? Not just the occasional home run, but but doubles and yeah. solid contact. And in that respect, he looks a lot better to me. But hey, I'm not a scout. Um, but I'm I'm happy to have him back in the infield. Don't see much of Ryan Goins anymore, but I've heard Ryan Goins is be going to become a, quote, super utility player, unquote. Yeah, that's insane. I'm sorry. I mean, to me, that's entirely, it's, uh, look, I'm not in the clubhouse, I don't know, but it seems entirely like it's about keeping him in the clubhouse. Because when I was there in the spring, he is very popular. He's, you know, the guys love him. He's not good. I mean, he, you know, if he's not playing his premium defensive spots, there's no reason to have him on the field. Well, yeah, certainly you're not trying to get his bat in the lineup. That's the whole reason why they're trying to figure out how to make him a utility player in the first place, right? But right. Like, why would you ever want Ryan Goins playing left field or right field or third base? I mean, there's just no point to it. 
No. I also found it rather humorous that they called him, and this was Gibbon's words, I believe, a super utility player. No. Ben Zobrist is a super utility player. Tony Phillips was a super utility player. These are guys who have a bat so good and can play all around the diamond that you keep trying to... You put them in the lineup and give somebody else a day off. Ryan Goins is like the opposite of that. (laughs) Yeah, he's a middle infielder who can't hit. Yeah, although we have not seen a whole lot of him yet. No, Uh, but I mean, there's just no reason to see him anymore. I mean, Travis is starting to hit a lot better today, notwithstanding. And with him and Tulowitzki up the middle, there's no reason to really play Barney or... Uh, or Goins unless there's an injury or just you want to give someone a day off. So really, Goins should go to the minors. Yeah. But, of course, he's not going to, quote, develop, unquote, there because he's only... What is he, 27 now? <laughs> yeah, but at least he can get regular bats. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what... what the... Uh, the long-term thing is there for him. Like, I feel bad for him. Well, in I that think he's backup infielder. Yeah, but... Right? Because Barney's not going to be back next year. Hmm. Maybe not. I'd be surprised. And then Goins just fills that same role that Barney's playing right now, where he fills in a second, fills in it short, can play third if you just want to let Donaldson sit for an inning or two. Fair but enough. It, you know, it doesn't start. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we have, uh, no segue. Did you give me one and I missed it? Well, it's like when like guy going to the minors, which would open up some roster spots. I was, try- I was trying to feed you one. Oh, see, I'm not very good at, on the receiving end of a segue. <laughs> we have, uh, Brett Cecil starting his minors assignment. Yeah. He's not the only one. He and Morales actually had games on the, fr- on the same day. And considering the state, as you have mentioned in the past, of the, the left-handed bullpen. <laughs> Who? Where? We yeah. have a left-handed bullpen? Ugh. Yeah, exactly. It's been awful. So if those two guys can come back, it'll be really interesting. Because obviously we know what Brett Cecil can do. Everybody knows what Brett Cecil can do. And Morales has been very, very good for the last couple of years. To my understanding, so, Morales throws hard. He does with a very good curveball. But interestingly enough, if both of them come back... You have two lefties, Joe Biagini, Chavez, Storin, Osuna, Floyd, and Wait. Grilly. That's eight guys. Uh, this was brought up by, I think, uh, was it Tammy when we were talking when they initially traded for Grilly? Was that at some point you are going to have eight unmovable pieces in the bullpen? Well, I, I think that. In this case, it's like if Morales doesn't pitch well, he'll be the guy just because, like, yeah, they're probably not too happy with him. <laughs> you <laughs> but, mean because they're paying him to do nothing? Yeah, but I wouldn't be shocked if they started rolling with an eight-man pen for a little bit. You know, because you don't need Ryan Goins. No, and you can option him. I also right. tend not to count my chickens in these situations. As in, yeah, there is yeah, no I mean, guarantee wait, wait that even, back. Yeah, even in a week, we don't know who's going to be available or not available. One of them could have or, a setback, or somebody else could be hurt. Right, exactly. And you know, Joe Biagini has kind of started to come back to earth a little bit. Hitters starting to figure him out, which is expected, right? You know, there's a time to make adjustments, which normally you do in the minors, but they can't because he's a Rule Five guy. 
Yeah. Yeah. They're, again, they're, they are eight immovable pieces. They're, they're going because they've all pitched well enough this year. If they put them on waivers or or they have enough experience that they can't put them and option them to the minors, um, that someone is going to take them. I mean, yeah. yeah, the best option really would be to try to work out some kind of deal with San Francisco so that you could send Biagini down. But I don't know how likely that would be, considering how well he's thrown. I'm sure they'd be like, ah, no, no. If you're trying to send him down, we'll take him back. Thanks. So you almost wish that Biagini's a little bit worse before they have to figure this out. And then no. gets a little bit better. <laughs> no, you don't want him to get worse. Well, you have to make him unattractive just before you send him down, and then he can figure it out, right? Yeah, well. And no, I don't I'm, think I'm, yeah. Trying to be too precise? <laughs> he, he's had enough success that the Giants would not just let him go. Okay. Well, I'm sad. Uh, there was a minor league move that got everybody excited. Uh, Wade, not Matt, LeBlanc, was traded to the Mariners. Mariners. Yes, I did have that in my head right. Uh, for Cash Considerations, who is not an actual player um, or a player to be named later, uh, depending on what the Mariners feel is fair to send back. People got really outraged because LeBlanc was leading the International League in a bunch of pitching categories. Yeah, and it's, there's no reason to get upset. Wade LeBlanc is not a good major league pitcher. He's, you know, he's what, what you know, Randy Wolf was last year, right? He's a guy who can dominate the minors but has struggles in the majors. And people wonder, like, why give up that guy when you have depth issues, which we talked about before, right? Mm-hmm. But the reason the, the reason is actually pretty simple. It's that he had a shot at a major league spot, and you don't you don't sign these minor league guys and then hold them down when they have a chance at making the bigs, because then you'll never sign anybody else. The word will get around that you just screw the players over, and then no one will want to come. Yeah, it's it's a long long term policy that you're just reinforcing, right? Right, exactly. It's you know it, it's it's a long game. It's like okay, you know what? Look, we we treat these guys well. So when you come here next time, if if you get a shot, we'll give it to you. But otherwise, we'll keep you down and give you the shot here if we need it. So I I don't think anybody should really worry about it. No, and I mean this may be well borne out by the, the time he gets whatever he's going to get in um, in Seattle. We'll see how he does. He's also going to be in a pitcher's park in Seattle, hopefully for his sake. Yeah. No, he's, I mean, it's not that he's atrocious. He's just not good. You, you're so matter of fact with these. He's just not good. <laughs> you're also matter of fact when you say a guy's very good. So I'll give you fair credit there. That yeah. When you I say try to be consistent. The guy's awesome. He is definitely awesome. Um, bop, 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 bop. We have listener questions. A handful thereof. Um, okay. Would you like me to read you the first one? Sure. Jarrett S. at JRod19. I always wonder if the 19 is in reference to uh, Mr. Bautista when people put that on the end. Why is Sanchez going to the pen such a sure thing? Who is making these innings limits? Don't pitch limits make way more sense? Yeah, I mean, they do. <laughs> There's a lot of things that really are, I'm assessing, I'm guessing are going to go into this one. I don't think it's going to be just an innings limit. I mean, when Gibbons says that, it might just be dumbing it down for the media. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of factors like, how is he responding? Is his arm bouncing back? Is he feeling any fatigue or soreness? Is his stuff the same? 
you know, they'll take everything into account. So while if it was one or the other, pitch would be make pitches would make more sense. I think it's going to be far more nuanced than that. Yeah, and and pitch counts also don't actually tell you anything about pitcher injury, as we mentioned previously, I believe, when we were talking with uh, Doctor Kirikolis, uh, that none yep. of the measures that we we think should keep track of things actually tell us how much stress has gone onto a pitcher's elbow. So, yeah, it, it, pitch counts also are a no. Yeah, uh, what do you got? All right, so here's one that comes from. Spez baby <laughs> it's Skeeter at Spezby. given their limited supplies of prospects if Storm were on the table who could the Jays be reasonably going after in a trade uh, that's kind of a wide open question isn't it yeah and basically the answer is I don't think he's on the table he, he doesn't really have trade value right no he's in he's not had a great year so he's not exactly where i would i would say there's a lot of value i mean he's not had a horrible year but yeah i don't yeah yeah he's pitching better now but uh, you know it's like a reliever making his salary with his numbers this year is not going to trade get you any prospects there's no point in trading him maybe we could trade back uh for ben revere <laughs> he, he wasn't playing very well either. I heard they're approximately the same value. Uh, okay, next question from Blue Jayway at Blue Jayway One: Have the Jays ever played a regular season home game at four oh seven, and why did they do it? And then he, uh, we clarified here j- during the week, and obviously not the playoffs, just a regular, old fashioned four oh seven start. You know, I tried to look this up. Really? Because I remember them announcing it, I believe, in 2014 that they were doing it for, like, four games. Those were Saturday games. Were they all Saturdays? Yeah. Because I, I remember that the thought was, or the, some someone gave a justification, of course, the human memory is funny, but that you would cut out of the office if you worked downtown... And then you could have a go right to the game, and still oh, I mean, be that home might have made sense. Dark. And especially in this case, but those were actually for Saturday games back in 2014. So that doesn't make any sense either. No, I, I, I honestly think that part of it is just to do with you know Arizona and time zones. They just don't want to, they don't have them come in for a night game and then have them play the next day at one or twelve thirty in the afternoon. It's just a courtesy thing. <laughs> could be I, the game was a sellout. So I don't know what that tells the good people at uh, the was, marketing it was, department. It was camp day, right? All the kids. And parrot shirt day. That's I thought true. camp day was like last week. No, that was schools. School day and camp day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just, I'm going to roll with that. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's we don't actually know when the last time they did this was, but it's rare. You probably won't see it again for a while. Yeah, for sure. So next question comes from Olerud's Helmet. When's Dalton Pompey coming up? You know, some of our questions are so good because they don't have answers. (laughs) Uh, Dalton Pompey is coming up if Ezekiel Carrera has to go on the DL with his Achilles. I would bet. (laughs) Yeah, well, just to take that a step further, if Ezekiel Carrera starts not playing well or turn you know starts hitting like the old school Ezekiel Carrera 
and Bautista is out for a lot longer, then Pompey would make sense. Although I think he's a concussion right now in the minor leagues. But uh, he came back today. Oh, okay, that's good. I believe. But, oh, wait, no, no, I could be wrong. I, that could be Alfred who came back today from his concussion. Yeah, the Jays have some concussion issues. They're minor league or center fielders, but well, he's the guy who they don't want him up here to play every now and then. That's why Daryl Siciliani was called up when Bautista went down because they were going to start Carrera. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So the answer is just if there's a roster spot that's to play every day, that's when it'll be him. Yeah, and we ain't there yet. No, thankfully. Uh, next from our good friend Brian at big <laughs> underscore b underscore sr. We should just put him at the end of the podcast as well. Um, should the Jays not seriously be considering extending Saunders now? I mean, come on. I <laughs> bet you they are seriously considering extending Saunders now. Yeah, I well, they they probably are. I mean, we discussed this earlier when we were talking about Saunders, but. It kind of has to be in the, on the table now just because, they, as we mentioned, they have so many guys hitting free agency. We didn't even talk about Brett Cecil, Drew Storhan, Justin Smoke, uh, Jesse Chavez. I mean, there's a lot of holes that are going to be created in this offseason, so they might want to try to start plugging them as soon as possible. At some point, it was, I believe, 10 out of the 25 people on the Major League roster were going to be free agents at the end of the year. That That's yeah, a whole lot of turnover. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like yeah, you might want to make some preemptive strikes. <laughs> Indeed. And um, last question. This is from Alex Hume. So he asked this question actually a couple weeks ago, and we just missed it. Other than communicating with the dugout, what does a bullpen coach do? Do they have any responsibilities beyond in game? Well, don't look at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. In terms of actual in the bullpen, when the guys are warming up, they monitor them and, and make sure that they're getting getting loose properly and in the right order. You know, basically, it's like they're, that they're throwing their pitches and getting everything done. That's their in-game stuff. And then beyond in-game, you know, they, they work with the pitchers just as the pitching coach works with the pitchers. You know, there's a lot of pitchers on a squad, and they work with their mechanics, and they tweak them. And it's basically he's the second pitching coach. This is why you've seen Dane Johnson in there when well, Pete Walker has been out as the acting pitching coach. Cool. But no, is there any specific thing that the pitching coach would never stoop to that the bullpen coach has to? Yeah, sitting in the bullpen. <laughs> I'm never going there, ever. <laughs> Open your little door. <laughs> Go sit in the back. Oh, dear. We, uh, we had a question, and this actually will lead into my gold star, I believe. Are we already up to the gold star portion of the program? Yeah. Um, the question was from Luke at SporkV underscore. John Gibbons, the best or the very best? <laughs> Which, of course, is in reference to his post-game presser today. So Edwin Encarnacion, as we mentioned, hits a home run on Parrot Day. And Gibbons shows up in the parrot shirt that they had for the giveaway and answers the first two questions at the press conference by raising his arm, doing an Ed Wing as he says the answer to the question. 
We're going to link to this in the podcast post because this was just great. Yeah, and it, I would play the audio, but the audio, of course, doesn't sound like anything. It's... It's no, the it's visual. The visual. <laughs> so I'm not going to play the audio. It's only about a minute and a half, two minutes long for, for him to do it. Um, you can hear the reporters cracking up in the room. Uh, and he he's trying real hard to deadpan the answer as well. Yeah, he nailed it. It was so uh, good. Yeah. Also, his reaction when he won the challenge with uh, one out in the ninth, there was a bang-bang play at first. And John Gibbons... If I were him, I would hate my replay guy that says, go ahead and <laughs> go ahead and challenge that. Because I think the Jays have lost more challenges than any other team in baseball this year. Uh, he actually won one. His smile was so big. <laughs> he was just so thrilled to be right on a replay challenge. <laughs> Didn't try and hide it or anything. It's like, yeah, that's that's better than a home run sometimes. Um yeah, so I like the way John Gibbons is so laid back. It's yeah. awesome. It, it totally deserves a gold star because you. I know I understand it's great theater to be like Lou Pinella or you know some of the old school managers and and uh, be angry all the time. Like Buck Showalter is an excellent manager from a tactical standpoint. I understand that, and I understand he's a good human being. But man, does he look grumpy all the time. Even when he's <laughs> winning. He's like mad about it. Yep. I don't no, need I agree. that. Give me the best. So yeah. Uh, but is he the best or the very best? That's the real. That was the question. I guess we didn't answer it. <laughs> well, I guess today the answer was the very best. That's why you gave him a gold star. <laughs> there we are. Um, he may have a rough go next week. But for now, the very best. Right. What else we got? I think, nah, I think we can wrap this one up. We can wrap this one up. I would. I okay. I will turn it to you then for a final thought. Do you have a final thought? This fine three and three week in Blue Jays history. I do, because in one of those losses, Marco Estrada <laughs> set the major league record for consecutive starts of six or more innings pitched and without allowing five or fewer hits with eleven. He beat. Uh, it, he was tied with. Jake Arrieta and Clayton Kershaw in 2014 and Johan Santana in 2004 all did it 10 times in a row. And his back acted up or he would have stayed in said game another half inning. I thought we were going to get through a podcast without making any significant Marco Estrada facts entries. I'm on this podcast. There's no way that's ever happening. <laughs> Apparently not. I, it's, only, it's only days when I'm not here and Chris, is, Chris and you are doing it. Exactly. The, the safe days, for those of you who are not a big fan of Marco Estrada. But then I would ask, why are you not a big fan of Marco Estrada? Exactly. We don't want them listening. Um, do you know someone observes how high Marco's hat is when the Jays are behind as to how likely a rally will be coming? Okay, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but M Marco will, will just perch his hat on top of his head if he's in the dugout and the team is behind. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it is quite obvious that he, he's not pulling it down tight. <laughs> Don't know why. Uh, baseball's goofy. I have a very strange, esoteric, it's almost like a shower thought, final thought. Um, okay. Did you, are, you're familiar with the Transformers, I assume, because of the movies and everything. I'm are, also old enough to remember the cartoon. You are old enough to remember the cartoon. I'm never sure because I am the oldest man on the internet every time <laughs> I try to inter interact with people. I don't know how that happened. 
the Blue Jays remind me of the, the groups of Transformers like uh, the Constructicons and the Aerial Bots and, and, and those groups. Because in order to sell more toys, which was great, they developed these groups of decent, smaller Transformers that would like fight individually and usually uh, get their behinds handed to them after a certain period. But... Like the leader of this small group would call all of the others together and they would combine into like a big transformer. And of course, that big transformer would like wreck the whole landscape. You remember that, right? Yes, I do. I feel like the Blue Jays for the first two months of the season play offensively like this small group of transformers that you look and you go well that guy's decent and this is going well and that's fine and they're still getting their behinds handed to them on a regular basis and then last year was and for like a week and a half this year was like they combined into that monster that was unstoppable I yeah I don't know how they keep that up because it like it really seemed like when they were going into Baltimore, like they'd really keyed in on how to keep the the line moving, and then they ran into, I don't know, who did they run into in Baltimore that stopped them from scoring runs? <laughs> uh, well, they still scored runs. They just got out. I mean, they they lost that one game, but with when Dickie was pitching, but the Stroman game, they still scored six runs or something like that. And then they came and they scored two against Arizona, and I still don't know what what secret magic he was using. So I, well, I he wasn't, want, I mean, the Jays were just, they were leaving guys on base. So they were still hitting. I want the blue Jays to be superior That's what I'm saying. Or devastator. I yeah, don't, but by I, the way, it, it was Gallardo <laughs> that pitched that game. He just like Jays kryptonite. Apparently. Yeah. I don't know why people are all excited about that. By the way, I was like, people were like, Oh, we get Gallardo. I'm like, when have we ever actually beat up on Gallardo? Has that happened yet? <laughs> just cause he's left-handed. Doesn't he's mean not left-handed. What is wrong with you? Well, then why are they supposed to be so good at beating him up? Because he doesn't strike people out. Well, that's it's ridiculous. And because other teams hit him. And his ERA on the season is 626 after the Jays start. He's Jays kryptonite. That's all. You were right yeah. in the first place. Yeah. The Blue Jays are off to Chicago. So maybe we'll have a whole bunch of victories to report because... Um, the demon zombie Brett Laurie is playing there, and it's not been going well for Chicago lately. Although they did just win a series against Boston. I think they swept them. What? That's impossible. Demon zombie Brett Laurie plays for them. <laughs> and for all of you who think I'm crazy, go go look up a shot of Brett Laurie's face in a White Sox uniform, and you tell me if he doesn't look like demon zombie Brett Laurie. Yeah, I was wrong. It's a four-game set. So they, have, they, they play the fourth game on Thursday afternoon, but they've won the first three games. Fingers crossed. Yeah, All no right. kidding. So I think that about uh, sums up our week, which means that uh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem on Twitter. I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode 17. And we'll see you next week. Just the two of us We can make it if we try
tears, wasted water's all that is.